We might make a uh, we might make a start. My name's uh, Peter Sondergeld. I'm one of the uh, directors of Biblical Counselling Australia, and I'd uh, like to warmly welcome you to today. We've uh, we've been away all week. We've done a uh, workshop in Sydney, one in Melbourne, and uh, we just had a great time. And uh, I'm uh, really glad to be back in my home state uh, because people in other states like to make jokes about Queenslanders. So, uh, look, it's going to be great. Listen, uh, uh, there's another director of uh, BCA who's here today, Biblical Counselling Australia, and that's Kurt Peters. And uh, uh, some months ago, uh, Ed was uh, generous to give us a, um, a draft copy of Side by Side, his book uh, that we've got up the back there that you can buy later if you'd like to. Um, and we just, we thought it was great. And uh, we loved how practical it was. We loved how um, we could just see how it was going to uh, help churches shape the way that people uh, work with one another and help each other. Um, and we thought it'd be really good for us to have some workshops in Australia with Ed to actually uh, do a little bit of hard work in a sense, just thinking about what it might look like in a church to actually implement uh, the, the, um, the things that Ed has written about in his book. So uh, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing today. So uh, the aim of the workshop today, there'll be uh, obviously a lot of talking, probably a fair bit of listening, but you're also going to need to do a little bit of work from time to time too. Uh, which uh, we hope will be, uh, will be valuable for you just to get you thinking about things. Uh, there will be a Q&A at the end of the day, um, but you just need to text your questions in. We're not going to be taking questions from the floor. Uh, the number is at the bottom of the screen, and I think it's also in your program as well. Uh, 040-590-5976. Did you get that? There you go. The number is 040 5905976. All right, what I'd like to do now is actually invite Ed and uh, Sherry to come up because I'm going to ask them a couple of questions. Peter, can I say something first? Sure. Was there anybody here uh, last weekend at uh, Fire in the Mountain in Tambourine? Uh, excuse me, just a real quick comment to, to those few people first. I want you to know that the only reason Sherry and I got here this morning was because she was able to give directions to the taxi. I want, so I, I want you to know that. So you, can, you can ask the Fire in the Mountain folks why that is so very important to, to say. So uh, maybe we'll start with you, Sherry. Can you just tell us a little bit about the, uh, the Welsh family? Can you hear me? Yes. Good? Oh, okay, good. Um, first of all, I want to say it is a pleasure to be here and um, to be with people who have kindred spirits. And last night, as Ed was snoring in my ear, <laughs> and I couldn't fall asleep, um, I actually was thinking about my family. And I was thinking... You didn't tell me that this morning. I know. You said you slept fairly well. You're very kind not to mention that. You're very kind to wait until we were all together before you mentioned it. I think I did tell you I had a hard time falling asleep. <laughs> That's true, you did. Um, no, I was actually thinking about how gracious the Lord has been to me because the two kindest men that I have ever met have been my father and my husband. So I'm authenticating uh, what he's going to be saying to you today. Secondly, um, we have two daughters, and they're both married, and I always wanted a large family, and the Lord gave me two girls. 
However, I have a large family. We're having our eighth grandchild in November. Ed, uh, Sharon, you get me all weepy before we get started here. I wasn't expecting that. I think that. I'm exhausted. <laughs> Ed, can you, uh, can you share with us a little bit about your church involvement, the church you attend, and, uh, and your contribution there? Yeah, I'd be glad to. We, Sherry and I have, we're in a large church since actually 1981 when we moved to, to where we are right now. And we were, I was an active elder who would do preaching and teaching and pastoral care. And she, she, I think she organized the women's Bible study and was very involved in women's ministries. We, we were asked to go with a church plant eight years ago, and, and she wanted to go. I didn't want to go, but it happened to be our best friends who were doing the church plant, so I, there was no choice in the matter. And, and, and my experience was a certain sense of loss. All these friends that I was leaving behind to, it seems silly, but to this very small group that that would be sort of our, our, our new family. And for those of you who are in smaller churches, it, obviously the arithmetic just doesn't quite work out the way we would naturally think. My experience is that, that we know more people better in, in our smaller church than we knew in our much larger church. So we're delighted to be involved in, in this small church plant. And, and um, I will tell one story. I, uh, along, along with pastoral care and, and teaching and some preaching, I'm her helper in the twos and threes, and 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 I'm, I'm merely her helper. I just I just make sure people don't die while she's you know, doing the more important things. And one time she wasn't there, and so I was like the master teacher of the twos and threes, and and so I so I, I decided to do a, a, a highly dramatic rendering of Psalm 23. It was it was sort of like a half hour version, and since the kids seemed so smitten and taken by what I was saying. I think it was a 10-minute little, little story time that extended to a half hour because they, it seemed as though they were so, so possessed by the story. And, and I had to write a little, little note to the person who oversees the Sunday school at the end of, uh, at the, end of the service. And, and I called her later in the day, or she called me. And, and, uh, and she said, well, it's interesting. I, I asked my son, who was in the twos and threes, how did it go? And, and he all of a sudden got this very serious look on his face. And you can see that, you know, that something happened very important. And, and he said, said, Mom, Mr. Welch wears flip-flops when he comes to church. <laughs> and so I, I, that's what mesmerized him, my, my flip-flops. So I thought it was the, the story of the whole time. But. So I, anyway, I help her in the twos and threes as well. Uh, that's great. Uh, Sherry, you, uh, you recently went on a missions trip. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yes, uh, when we started this church plan, it also coincided with a partnership um, with a pastor in Swaziland, Africa, and so we've been connected with them and have committed to this pastor and his um, church just a long-term relationship, and so we send a large team over once a year, uh, usually around 35 to 40 people um, join us for the trip, and then we um, have our pastor go over two other times during the year, once for a leadership training for pastors and um, once for just a, a building oversight. Because what we've done is we've um, joined with this pastor to do church planning, and so far we've planted nine churches. And the first church that we planted now has a church building, a school, 
a well, a garden, and we really want to see that duplicated. Um, and along with that, there's a mobile clinic that goes around. So there's just a lot happening, and we're very thankful to see uh, and be a part of what God is doing over there. Excellent. That's great. Last one's for you, Ed. There's uh, going to be some people here, I'm sure, today who uh, the term biblical counseling is a new uh, term for them. Can you uh, give them a, a little bit of help in terms of a, a definition of what, of what that is? Yeah, I'll try. There's, there's, there's no one definition of, of biblical counseling, but the things that strike me about it would be, one, there's nothing proprietary. There's no, nobody has a license on the name biblical counseling. It's, it's in the public domain. It's something that we all do. And essentially, the, the task is how to, do we bring the riches of Scripture and the center of scripture, the gospel itself, how do we bring it to our help and pastoral care for one another? That's, that's the essential enterprise. I think the, the way I will shorthand it today will be, think of biblical counseling, replace it with, it's simply wise conversations. That's, that's probably the, the easiest way to locate, locate it. So it, it loses some of its sort of professional overtones. That's great. Why don't you join with me? I'd, uh, I'd love to pray. Um, pray for both of them and pray for Ed as he speaks. Uh, it's just been a wonderful week for me personally just to sit and to meditate on the goodness of God. That in itself is, is very uh, refreshing and that, that's the opportunity you've got uh, today. So why don't you join, join me in praying. God, we thank you that there's so many good things that can be said about you. We thank you that we'll never get to the end of speaking of your goodness. Um, and we love that. We revel in that. Uh, and so, God, I pray today that you just uh, just uh, give strength for, uh, for Ed and Sherry as they're just coming to the end of their trip. Uh, God, just uh, uphold them. I pray for Ed today. I pray that you just help him to speak in a way that enables us to just sit in, in your goodness and be drawn to you. Uh, so, God, please help him with that and help us to be good hearers too. Amen. Amen. Let me, let me just underline what, what Sherry said about how kind... No, let me understand. Under, uh, <laughs> underscore what Sherry said about what a privilege it is to, to be with you. And, and this is our fourth time in Australia, and, and we, have, we have enjoyed just, just a growing number of friendships. And to be in Queensland really is a, is a gift to us, as, as those of you who live in Queensland understand. Here's, here's what I what I hope to gather myself over the course of the day, and I, I, I hope that these are things that the Spirit will do in your life as well. Three different things, uh, and they might be, you have these brochures or these little notes, you know, things for notes. I, sometimes I loosely go with my notes, as some of you have taken classes with me, and I digress and things like that, but it will help you to, to get some sense of where we are going. Certainly one thing that I hope to do is to identify a, an, a, a, identify and give you opportunities to think about how to further implement a, a platform for mutual care in your church so, so your church can continue to, to have this culture that, that, that is imitating more and more the culture of the kingdom of heaven as we help one another. In, in, in some ways, the... One, one analogy could be we, we want to put a computer chip in our churches. And this particular computer chip is something you don't necessarily see, but 
but it animates the way we speak to each other. It, 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 it animates the growth. It animates the way we pray for one another and know one another. And, and in, in, in some ways, that computer chip, it, 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 you, know, you add more memory to it, and it, and it has all kinds of add-ons, but it, it, it really is very, it's fundamental to, to our pastoral care. So I would like to be able to describe and, and, and consider ways of implementing that. That would be certainly one goal. A second would be, how can we grow in the care of souls? To, to think so concretely that over the course of the day, you're considering a conversation you're going to have during breaks or, or this evening. And for that conversation to be just a little bit different, because this is a time where God has met us, and we've just continued that process of progressive sanctification. So, so certainly we want to be able to, to grow further in our, in our own ministry skill. The, the third thing would be for us to, to together develop a, an increasing enthusiasm for biblical counseling or the, par- the, the, the care of souls or how rich the scripture is in, in guiding us how we wisely love each other. Think in terms of wise love or wise conversations. And, and by the way, the word wisdom, when we, when we think about that word wisdom, it, 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 as it moves into Scripture, it just explodes with meaning. And, and, and the obvious place we would go would be to the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs, when it uses wisdom, it's, it's going back to the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible. And Proverbs is, is essentially saying, how do we take Torah and and bring it to the very details of life? How do we bring Torah to the struggles that we have with our neighbors? How do we bring it to the struggles we have within, within even our own home, to, to our work? How do, we, how do we bring Torah into the details of life? And also, how can we ask Torah, those first five books which they had, how can we ask Torah questions and, and, and draw out from Torah ways to, to continue to grow in in the way we live, in such a way that honors our God and ultimately honors Jesus Christ. The assumption that, that, that we're going to, I, I, I'm going to ask you to share with me is, is this, that we're focusing on the care of souls, mutual help in our times of need. And, and this is done primarily by us sort of ordinary, unimpressive non-professional folks. And, and that's exactly what we would expect given the nature of the kingdom of heaven. The Apostle Paul even comes right out and says, oh, by the way, you are very unimpressive. That's your, that's your resume. And isn't that just perfect? Because in unimpressive people, the glory of God will be even more manifest. And isn't it true that in your own growth, as you think of the contributions to your own growth in Christ, don't you find a bunch of ordinary faces that are, that are strewn along that? My, my wife is not a professional counselor, but for most of us who are married, we would probably say our spouse has been the predominant sort of contribution to our, con- or to our own sanctification or knowledge of Jesus. That's what I'm assuming, that, that this, is, this is where ministry to one another takes place. For those of you who are pastors... You are doing the same thing. You, you are also one of us. You are, you are an unimpressive person. 
Yeah, you have, you have, I'm, 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 I'm quoting Paul. I'm quoting Paul on that, okay? I didn't say that. It was a quote. You're very unimpressive. That's Paul, the Apostle Paul speaking to. Um, yet, yet you have an, a, another task as well. And, and, and your task is to consider how can you stir up the body of Christ and equip the body of Christ in these, these ongoing these ongoing wise conversations in such a way that the body of Christ has this, this interconnected web of relationships that is just plain alive. That's, that's what we're looking for. And the passage would be Ephesians 4, verses 11 and following. It's, and this is to pastors in particular. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip us, the saints, for the work of ministry. And that work of ministry is intended to build the body of Christ until we attain to the full unity of faith, maturity, to have the stature together of the fullness of God. That's, that's our task together. The platform is going to be very simple, as some of you already know. The, the platform for our wise love, for our wise conversations, is we want to know each other and we want to pray for each other. We want to know each other. Then we want to ask the question, and what does God say? Given, given what we know, what is it that the Lord says? And, and what we're aiming for is, is, a, is, is something that is immensely simple, that's available to young children. Yet we're also looking for something that, that invites our, the rest of our lives for growth. To be able to know another person. To, to grow in skills for the rest of our lives to be able to know someone, to draw out things from their heart more and more. That is, that is a lifetime of activity. And obviously, to consider together, how do we bring the word of God to bear on the struggles of our soul? That, too, is this lifetime of activity of, of knowing and growing in the knowledge of Scripture together and, and considering that question, how, how does Christ himself speak to the details of life? So that's, that's what we're doing in a nutshell. Knowing each other and how do we pray for each other. But, but for this particular, let's, let's start at the right place. And, and scripture tends to surprise us. Because in, in one sense, I think we're gathered together because we want to grow in skill and knowledge in the way we use the word of God to care for each other. But, but isn't it... Isn't it like scripture to say, just pause for a moment. And, and before you start thinking about those you want to help, consider how you are a highly needy person. And you yourself need help. And it just so happens that that, that, is, that is part of the very beginnings of, of the wisdom that we will offer to another. So, so this... Consider how unusual this time is. We're going to take around a half hour or so, and we're going to consider our own neediness. And our, our response to our neediness is humility before God and before other people. Perhaps we'll lasso in the Apostle Paul when he identifies us as weak people. We're, we're going to be looking at this call to consider ourselves as under rather than over. And, and notice how unusual it is. I, in, in my own life, I don't spend a half hour very often considering these things. But this is the very starting point of ministry. So, 
So if you could just consider that question, to linger on, Lord, expose, help me to see even more clearly reality. It's not that we want to be worse than other people. It's not that we want to feel humiliation. We want to simply understand our humanity. As we want to see ourselves accurately. Let's consider that for, for the next half hour or so. And, and by the way, as we consider it, notice, notice where it goes. For example, the, what we're aiming for, there's, there, there, it's, it's, it's a bit of a razor's edge because, because we, want to, we want to gather ways to grow in, 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 in ministry. And there's a certain amount of knowledge that goes into that. And the, the, the challenge is the more knowledge we have, the more we have a tendency to, to speak that knowledge and have some sort of confidence in our knowledge. But somehow, what we're aiming for is to grow in the knowledge, ultimately, of Christ and then the implications of Christ to the details of life. Yet, at the same time, we want to pray more rather than less. That's, that's the razor's edge that, that we're after. And you can see how this particular starting point is just perfect, just absolutely perfect, that, that we are needy, we're speaking to needy people, Lord, help us. It's, it's the perfect system for, for mutual help. So consider how one of the implications of this is, is you're, just, you're just simply going to be praying more. <laughs> Lord, help me. Give, get, grant me grace and wisdom to be able to love my daughter well or whoever it might be, my neighbor well. You're going to be praying with people just a little bit more. We need help. We, we, we need the Spirit to reveal what the Lord says to us now. And we need it desperately. So that's, that's one of the places we're going to be headed down the road most likely. We're just simply going to be praying for as we recognize our own neediness. Uh, another, another fruit of, uh, of this walk is that, that we will be much, much less prone to to saying very foolish things to people who are going through hard times. We, we all know that, that in, in the midst of our care for one another, suffering is going to be a prominent struggle that we encounter in another person. And we also know that we have said immensely foolish things to people who suffer. And people who suffer have said immensely foolish things to us. And, and, and sometimes... We sort of instinctively forgive the person because it wasn't intended for evil. Other times, the, the things that were unintentionally foolish, they stick with us. But, but notice this. What, you know, what would some of those unintentional things be? Are you, thank, are you thankful in the midst of your suffering? Are you thankful? Well, I guess sort of Scripture sort of says that, but... but as a, <laughs> excuse me, diving in so, so quickly into some deep waters, but I know women who have been raped and, and, and one of the first things they hear from the body of Christ, are you thankful? Are you thankful in the midst of this? It's, it, what's, it, it, perhaps the person who was saying that has a certain confidence that this is what God says and they know what God says. And humility is willing to come up under a person. And as we come up under a person, we perhaps are, are more prone 
to simply first being moved by their suffering. And, 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 and frankly, when humility comes and allows us to be moved by another person's suffering, we're, we, we are not going to be as prone to throwing out these bromides that seem to have a proof text associated with them, but, but they are ultimately very unhelpful. Romans 8.28 would be an example of this. How is, how is everything working together for good? It's a great passage. It's a great passage. But, but, but it, it, it misses humility. It's... It's okay, I, I know what God says about suffering. And let me give you that one passage. It's that, like that one string in the guitar. I'll, that's the only thing you can pray. There are no other notes available to you. And in humility, it remembers Romans 8.28, but it probably postpones it because it feels as if there are more important things to be able to bear burdens along with another person to pray for strength in the midst of the weakness, or to do something like this. Humility might say, how can I pray for you? Instead of, here's the word of God to you, here's the word of God to you, here's the word of God to you. And, and, and Scripture speaks so many ways to the suffering person. Humility sometimes simply says, oh, Lord, help us. How can I pray for you? So you can see this path. There are, there are wonderful benefits to our own soul, and it just so happens to to those with whom we are caring. Let's do this. Let's, is, is a way to, to linger on our neediness and our desire to grow in humility. Let's tell a story. And, and there, there, there are different ways we can use scripture. One is we, we take a text of scripture. Or we take a couple texts and we, we work them. The, the other is to, in a sense, to amass all kinds of scripture together and try to to put them in a coherent story so we can be, in a sense, taken over by that story. So we can inhabit that particular story. So let's inhabit a story. And I'll, I'll tell you a few different features of a story of humility, and that's what we're doing. We're simply going through Scripture and saying, Lord, show me my neediness. Teach me humility. Show me something about weakness. That's what we're, that's what we're looking for as we, as we move through Scripture. I'll identify a few places, but, but try to be active. How Right now, if I would ask you the question, tell the story. What, what kind of scripture would come to mind? So try to, try to be engaged as much as you can with this. Let's start at the place where I suspect most of us would start. God is the creator, and, and we are the creatures. That's pretty straightforward. But, but there is a, there, there's a bunch of meaning behind that. You see... When you create something, whatever you create, it belongs to you. It doesn't, it doesn't have a life of its own. It belongs to you. And, and when God creates us, there, there should be that keen sense that, that we are not our own. And, and then when we get to the New Testament, we are not our own. We are bought with a price. We, we, are, not, we are not the kings. We, our Father is the king. And... And he owns us. And, and he is the one who, who controls us. We are creatures. We are not the creator. A little bit further than that, we are finite creatures. I hate to be morbid at this time in the morning. I guess there's no time of day that is good to be morbid. But, but the, the reality of death is, is something that reminds us that we came from dust and we will return to dust. And... 
and, and so, many of our, so many things in our resume will also go to dust. There's something about death that helps us to understand what is especially important. And so many of our accomplishments don't seem to, don't seem to be able to weather that, that gap between, between death and eternity. Death is a, death is a, a magnificent leveler. Our own death and, and also the demise of the kingdoms of the world that seem to be so arrogant and puffed up. Part of being a creature is that we are limited. That, that all the gifts are not embodied in one particular person. How did you get here this morning? Huh? I was reliant on, on Pete and Kurt getting a taxi to show up at, our, uh, at where we were staying. I was reliant on Apple Computer and the thousands of people at Apple Computer because we, we needed our iPhone to, to wake us up at the right time. I needed a wife who had been to QTC before. And, and if I was giving the taxi person directions, we would have... I don't... I would have kept trying, I would have probably said like an old explorer, go high and, and I'll see if I can find the ocean. And you know, I head that direction or something like that. But, but I was relying on Sherry to be here. And, and since, since I've come on, on, on this campus, there have been a number of other people I know I rely on. Isn't that wonderful? That, that there, is, there, is, there is not a moment of self-sufficiency in our lives. That we are dependent at this moment on thousands and thousands of other people. As human beings, and certainly in the body of Christ, to represent God accurately, we are dependent on, on the fullness of, of the body working together. We are, we are limited creatures. Isn't that wonderful? Don't you feel small? Isn't that great? That's, that's what we're aiming to do. Not, not artificially small, just small as we were intended to be. Low as we were intended to be in our true humanity. Now let's continue through scripture. <sighs> scripture talks about one of our struggles is idolatry. We tend, to, we tend to find life in people and places and things outside of Christ. And, and Isaiah chapter 2 has a very interesting passage. It, it, talks, about, it talks about how the, the idolaters seem very lowly. And it seems very religious. You're, you know, you're under your idol. But, but Isaiah 2, it, it shows the intricacies of idolatry. Where ultimately in idolatry, we want nothing above ourselves. We want to, in a sense, manipulate the idol. We want to manipulate our money or whatever it might be to give us the things that we want so we can be just a little bit better than the rest. And so when Isaiah, on behalf of the Lord, speaks to idolaters, he, he says, so the pride of man will be laid low. The pride of man will be laid low. In other words, we have this instinctive tendency to get puffed up and puffed up and puffed up. And in scripture, very graciously, reminds us that we are mere human beings. Let's move into the New Testament. Any particular stories from, from the New Testament that, that, that capture your attention? The king has come. All eyes on the king. Let's just, let's just take one story from the New Testament out of, 
out of many. When you look at the life of Jesus, what you see is the human. He's going lower and lower and lower. Uh, let, me, let me actually take two uh, from, from the life of Jesus because they're, they're so rich and so important. As you look at Jesus' life, you find that he is constantly being tested by the leaders of the people. Constantly being tested. And, 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 and it's easy to gloss over that, but when we, when we understand reality, it goes something like this. The greater tests the lesser. The greater, God tests his people. The people never test the Lord. We, we can put our children to the test. Our children don't put us to the test. And here the Pharisees are putting God to the test. They are the ones who are above, and they are saying Jesus is under them. And when you watch Jesus being tested, there is never, you have it wrong. <laughs> you get down, and I will be over. It's, it, it begs for that kind of response, but he is showing the course of true humanity that is even willing to be tested by, by people who are, who are looking to harm us. This is the way of tr- this is the way of of royalty. It's down under, just a little bit farther, a little bit farther. John chapter thirteen, I, I suspect, would be if 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 he said, go through the life of Jesus, and and be compelled toward neediness and 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 growing growing under people rather than over them. I suspect John thirteen would be one of the stories that we that we come to. It's <laughs> I don't know what it's like for you, but, but as, as, as we move toward the end of Jesus' life, we, we listen more carefully. And it, frankly, it seems as though John is doing the same thing. Because John sort of races in the first nine chapters through Jesus' life. But then that last week, he says, let's go slowly through this one. Because, because his death is near. And when death is near, it's as if every word... And every action is, is laden with a bit more meaning. And John 13 is, is, is pivotal to that time where John is saying to us, slow down, watch especially carefully. And, and, and Jesus is, is in word and deed saying, this is the nature of the kingdom of heaven. The, if you want to follow me as your Lord and master, you go under. You go under. You, your neediness is apparent and, and you grow low before others. In some sense, we could say that, that and this, this is a motto that has served me well. I just don't, I just don't follow it that often. To, our desire is, is, is always to beat others in going under them. Our, our, our desire is a kind of unbalanced life where it's not a symmetry where... We love each other the same way. We want to love just a little bit more than the other person. We want to go under just a little bit farther than the other person. In such a way that doesn't make us mute. It, it doesn't make us these, these, these mere servants who, 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 are, who are quiet and, 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 and tolerate things that, are, that, are, that might be truly wrong. It, it means that as we go under another person, whatever we say, it will be in their best interests, and it will be spoken 
in humility and, and in love. How you doing? Telling the story? You, this, is, this, is, this is a highly unusual opportunity to reflect and meditate on, on a surprising starting point, but essential starting point as we, as we grow in, in these wise conversations. The, here's the story. Philippians tells it. Lower, lower, lower. This is the royal road that, 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 that ends up awfully high. And that's what we're always looking for. Where, where is the road going? The path down is always is, is, is this wondrous path that, that, that goes all the way up to Christ himself. And somehow, is, as John identifies through that high priestly prayer, we are brought up into the very unity of the triune God and, 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 and share a certain communion with him and with each other. It's just exquisite. But that's the road. That's the, and that's, that is the natural path that Jesus is exposing to us and we want to follow. This path of neediness and under rather than over. The Apostle Paul, he, it's almost as if you can, you can see this, this new kingdom coming in and, and he's, every day after day he's reflecting, what does it look like? And, and here he has these, these, these weaknesses. And, and, and see, in the Old Testament, if you had some kind of notable physical disability, it, it meant you were on God's bad side. It meant that you or somebody else had done something wrong. The man born blind, for example, in the New Testament. Well, somebody did something wrong, either the blind fellow or his parents have done something wrong, and, and it must be rectified in some way. So... That was the typical way, the wrong way, of course, but that was the typical way of thinking about weakness. But when, when Christ is risen and the Spirit comes, everything is, it seems like everything is turned upside down. And, 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 and so Paul prays that his weakness would be taken away, that, that, that the weakness that it seems to naturally just sort of put him under people rather than over people. He may praise again that it will be taken away. And he prays again. And then he begins to be brought into the farther reaches of the kingdom of God. And it goes like this. Hmm. Jesus was crucified in weakness, in humility, and he was raised in power. That is the path. And you can, you can see as soon as Paul gets that, he all of a sudden he becomes very excited. And he advertises he said, isn't this great? You are this immensely unimpressive group of people. You, you don't have all this glory in yourself. You don't have all these incredible strengths that, 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 that can be announced to all creation. You are just a regular old bunch of people. And you're, you're, you're probably acutely aware of your own weakness. Isn't that great? Because that, that is the very path that we travel. This, this path under and it is the path of wisdom. Certainly within this, the, the greatest weakness we have is that indictment that we find in Romans 1, 2, and 3, along with the rest of the cosmos. It's as if, as if the Lord is bringing all of humanity before him. And, and, he's, and he starts off in Romans 1 saying, you see those bad people over there? 
They're bad, aren't they? They're really bad. They're, they're just completely lost. And then in chapter 2, he says to those of us who are standing in judgment, and you, and you, your own hearts are really no different. And, and if we want to take the shortcut to neediness and humility, it's, it's the path of confession of sin. It's, it's Lord, I, I do not indeed measure up to your glory. That's part of the story. Let me, let me just give a couple questions, and I think these appear in your outline as a way to, to continue to, to, to linger and, and, and inhabit this particular story. Here are a few questions that I should say, frankly, they're, they're my questions. They're questions that capture me and, 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 and point out areas of arrogance in my own life and, and places that I can grow. When you experience trouble or anxiety, for example, are your instincts to pray or are your instincts to figure it out and run from it? If your instinct is to pray, ah, welcome to this path of lowness where you, where you realize that you are a mere human being and you are not going to be able to construct human events so somehow whatever it is that's threatening you is now suddenly gone. Humility is expressed in simply, Lord, Lord, help. Do you think you're a relatively good person who occasionally does bad things? Uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm speaking autobiographically here. Uh, my, my wife very graciously says that occasionally I'm kind. And, 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 and then the, the, the reality is that, that if, if you walk with me through my day, it, it, I don't look like I do gross sins. And so what do you do? You only con- you confess when you do really gross sins, like once a week or so. <laughs> you know, when you when when you're when you're ostensibly blaming somebody, when when you're when you're when your complaint of, of your heart starts coming out your mouth with words that uh, that surprise you and perhaps other people. The the Lord's prayer is this 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 wonderful antidote to those who think they're relatively good people who occasionally do bad things, because. Day after day, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me as, as I forgive others. Or the, or the other side of that would be something like this. this. is another question. Do you think that you are such a bad person and so much worse than everybody else that you have to somehow rehabilitate yourself before you are acceptable before God and before other people? I, I think Anne Lamott is a, is a woman in the United States, a, a writer and novelist. She, she, uh, she tells this story. It's as, if, it's as if the Lord says, I'm coming and our house is an utter mess. And he's saying, I'm, come, I'm coming to clean up the house. And, and so he comes to the door, he knocks on the door, and he says, just a second, we're cleaning up the house. <laughs> and no, wait, another hour or two, let us clean up the house before you come. And we don't get reality. We can never clean it sufficiently. And actually, he's the one who's doing, going to do the cleaning, and he will receive glory as he takes this mess of a house and, and makes it beautiful. You, you, did you notice that if you think you're a, a, a truly wretched person, more wretched than anybody else in the, in the context of the church, and you have to do it better and better and better, do you, do you see that even though I feel so long, lowly, there's a little tiny bit of pride that, that you somehow can do it better, <laughs> that you can work a little bit harder, sort of meet God halfway, None of us, we, perhaps the word grace would capture this. 
grace, you would think, is when we speak it to our neighbors, everybody would be, everybody would succumb to it. That it's not by our work, but it's by Christ's initiating work. But at the same time, grace is a, is a frightening thing. I, I can remember one time, one, one time it, it, was, it was a time when we just did not have a whole lot of money laying around, and, and, and we had some friends who knew it, and they, one winter they brought over this beautiful coat for Sherry. It's just this beautiful coat. And I had two reactions. Thank you. But then in my mind I'm thinking, what can I find in the house real quick where I, that I can re-gift or something like that uh, of, of equivalent value that we can give to them? Because to be in somebody's debt, it just felt to be a recipient of grace was not as, as comfortable as we thought. If indeed we have this element of pride in our lives. Grace is, is saying that we have nothing to bring. And, and we have been given this, this lavish meal. It's, it's awkward in the midst of our pride, but it is beautiful as we take this path of, of going under rather, rather than over. Can you name two sins right now? Right now. That, 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 that this, you know, some of you might be able to name a hundred, but... but, but but typically, at least my own experience, I'm talking. This is very autobiographical. The, the, the spirit could identify a hundred, but he's very gracious. Just, just sort of one or maybe two at a time, <laughs> but always one or two at a time. That would be, would be a great question, wouldn't it? What, what's the one sin that the spirit is, is identifying in your life, that that he is committed to com- to progressively sanctify in you. Notice the last two questions. They're, they're sort of summary questions. Do you say help to the Lord? Do you say help to the Lord? In some ways, what we're identifying is, is the pinnacle of, of the human response to God. The most beautiful thing we can do is be people of faith. And the question is, what does it mean to be people of faith? What are, could, could we use different words? To be people of faith is simply to do this. To say, Jesus, I need you. See, faith is... We're depending on another because we know our own neediness, inadequacies. Faith is, is the premier act of humility. Jesus, I need you. I wonder what a day would be like. I wonder what our conversations would be like if we started a day and punctuated with, Jesus, I need you. Or even the slightly shorter version, Jesus, help. Jesus, help. Today is a day that, that I, can, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot love on my own. I can, this is Jesus, help. What would, be, what would our conversations look like if that was the entrance into our day? Do you say help to the Lord? And then the analogous question would be, do you say help to other people? Now, I was, I was thinking about this the other day, and, and as I was grading myself, I was realizing that it goes something like this. I, 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 by the way, this is the third time we've, we've talked about these things. In, in Sydney, when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, uh, saying help to the Lord, I'm like a 7.5. And then in Melbourne, it was like a 6. And I don't know what it is now. But, but you see, what I found was this. I found that 
what I, the way I graded my saying help to the Lord, it was a lot better than the way I say help to other people. Uh, and I, I, could, I could give it above five for, for to the Lord and a one or a two to other people. How many times, very specifically, how many times over the last week have you asked somebody to pray for your soul? How many, that's what needy people do. Help. If, if we're speaking it to the Lord, it's going to come out of our mouths to each other. It's going to come out in our human relationships. And here's, here's the thing that I've been struggling with. There's something illegitimate about giving myself a five in the way I speak to the Lord and a one for the way I speak to people. If I really want to know what's going on in my soul, I look at what happens in my relationships. And if I am reluctant to say help to another human being, chances are my own prayer life is not what I expected. And it, is, it, is, it, is not, it does not have that Jesus help. And you do help. Empower, and you do empower. Do you, do you say help to the Lord? And then, wherever you grade yourself, is that grade being pulled down as you, as you use that second question? Do you say help to another person? And it could be diaconal help. You know, Kurt over here, he... he, he he won't let other people touch his bags, even if it's incredibly awkward for him. Uh, he, he, he doesn't want to... So I, I've been saying all these good things about you for so long. I, 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 <laughs> right, right. And, and we're not in your state anymore, so you're the one who can be picked on. <laughs> it may be diaconal help, too. Could you help me around the house? Could you give me a ride? But it's even more deeply... Could you pray that I would be able to love my neighbors, to love God as I should? Or the Apostle Paul, to speak clearly and boldly about Christ, which doesn't make you popular, doesn't make you look smart before anybody else. You go to anybody and, and ask for prayer that you would be humble before your children. You see, this, this, this under thing, it's... It's not just for peers. It's not just for people. It, it's our very children. Could you imagine what it would be like to parent in humility, to pray that we would be under, and, and, and then anger seems to vanish, and anger makes us so incredibly stupid in our relationships. And as we go under, it gives us, we, we can, how do I love this child now? It, it, it's not so much, what did they do to me? How, do, how dare they say that to me? It's, Humility gives us the privilege of considering what is in their best interests. How are you doing? Is your grade going down farther and farther as we speak? Hopefully, because if you get down to around a zero, then you encounter true humanity. And, and, and this is the, the elegant beginning to the way we have wise conversations with each other. It can look like this. I'm a professional counselor, which, which means that some people actually think that I know what I'm doing at times. And, and, but if you would ask those I speak to, what, what has Ed said that has been helpful? I, I think I know what some of them would say because I asked that question. And, and inevitably, it's something like this. There was a time when he asked me for prayer. There was a time when he asked me for prayer. Where, what, what was it? It was, it was simply a day where the, the sense of neediness 
was just highly acute in my own life. And, 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 and so at the end of our time together, I'll pray for you, but you've got to pray for me first. And it's, what is it? It's just simple neediness. But here is a woman who felt like the dregs of society. And here's somebody who she felt was sort of in the community of God, sort of coming under her, saying essentially, I need you. I need you to pray for me. It's, it's identifying gifts in another person. It's, it's identifying the strengths that God has given her. Doesn't it make sense that, that it's those little tiny things that we do out of our sense of being inadequate that, that the Lord seems to use to advance his kingdom? If you're a pastor, to simply, could you imagine, imagine before you preach, asking somebody in your congregation to pray for you and saying something like this. This, is, this passage has been a challenge to me all week. And, and it, it's, it, I, I, it's knocking on the door of my soul, but sometimes it's not getting all the way in. Could you pray that, that the words of Scripture would go deeply into my own heart and, and in all of our hearts? Just something as simple as that. It's, what is it? A pastor being, I need you. I need, I, I need God and I need you. And... And in that afternoon, somebody is going to ask somebody else for prayer who has never asked anybody to pray. Somebody is is growing in that, that wonderfully human process of being needy before God and before others. A, Sherry and I were, were in this large church for a while, and... And the, the pastor was preaching about something delicate. And I can't remember exactly what it was. And wouldn't you know, at the, end of preach, uh, at the end of preaching about something delicate, he said, okay, for those of you who, who are grappling with this, I want to pray for you. So if you're, if, if you're wrestling with this, please stand up. And, and, and it was fascinating. It's, it's, it's a wonderfully, wonderful church, but but nobody wanted to move. You know, it, it's, oh, I saw, I saw that movement, so you, you stand up. I'm going to pray for you. Nobody wanted to move. Nobody wanted to twitch. And, 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 and then he, then after around five, ten seconds, he said, uh, and, and I'm the first one standing. And it's just a little thing. And within around five seconds of that, everybody in the entire church immediately stood up. <laughs> uh, it's, isn't that, Typical of the way the kingdom of heaven goes forward. That, that these simple acts of Jesus, I need you. It, it, embedded in that is this glory that, that, that honors Christ and, and draws other people in. It's infectious to us. Here's the reality that, that we indeed are, are the means God uses to help one another. He, he uses mere mortals like ourselves to bring this exquisite kind of help. And God is pleased that, that the best help is offered by those who know something about how they are wonderfully unimpressive and, and weak and needy before God and before others.
Let me pray. Father, in, in, in many ways, I feel like I could, I, I personally could stop now, and and this is this is more than enough to grow in for the next ten years, and and then to begin to consider the the, the potential wonderful fruit of of how humi- when when wise conversations are animated by humility before you and before others to consider the fruit of that. So, Lord, this has just been a short time, but. But would you, by your spirit, would you impress these things on our hearts? And wisdom, the fear of the Lord, living under him, and then analogously living under others, would you, would you allow us to even grow in these things today? In the name of Christ, amen. So uh, we come to the first uh, practical side. Uh, so what we want to uh, invite you to do now is uh, we want to give you uh, about five to seven minutes. And here's uh, what we'd love you to do is uh, we'd love you to uh, have a chat uh, with someone next to you and then pray for each other. And here's what we'd like you to talk with them about. Uh, love you to either name one sin or a struggle um, that you need help with. So it's really this is the kind of humility that, that Ed's been talking about, about being needy. And you get to practice being needy. Uh, most of you are really excited about that right now. <laughs> but it's good. It's good. It's really, really good. And I hope you can hear that note in what Ed's sharing. It is good to be needy and it is good to contribute to one another. So uh, pick something that you're happy to share with the person next to you. Go as deep as you can and uh, get them to pray for you. You've got about five to seven minutes. Okay, folks, uh, I'll give you about 30 seconds more. I trust that was a good time for you, um, a good conversation and some good praying. My, uh, in a moment, I actually want to uh, invite someone up to talk to you about uh, how they've engaged with uh, biblical counselling training. Um, I, um, I completed my uh, counselling qualification uh, a number of years ago, and I remember just toward the end of it, uh, coming across... Uh, what some of you may be aware of is, uh, is a classic biblical counselling article by David Powlison called uh, Idols of the Heart and Vanity Fair. And uh, I guess at that moment, I, I, uh, I probably felt like my, my world went from black and white into colour. That's probably the best way to describe it. And I saw myself differently. I saw people around me differently. I saw counselling differently. And then I went on this um, a little bit of a... Um, search to to see who else was was into this thing called biblical counseling in australia and uh somewhat randomly you know when you type into google something and it gives you a whole bunch of suggestions i I did something like that and i found this organization called biblical counseling australia um, which was in its very early days i often joke about how the early days of biblical counseling australia were the technology version of two men and a dog because there was two men and a website (laughs) Uh, and that was uh, Kurt and uh, Carl from Victoria. And so I connected with them and uh, slowly but surely just uh, found more and more people and connected to more and more people who um, were interested in it and pursuing it. And it's been wonderful. And every time you kind of, for me, every time I get to the point where I think, 
we're probably connected with everyone who's doing it. Then you find a whole other pocket of people that you just didn't even know about. Uh, and it's been great. Um, one of the things I did after reading uh, Powerlison's article was um, do some study through the Christian Counselling and Education Foundation where Ed uh, works. And uh, the, the subject that you start with is uh, Dynamics of Biblical Change. So I just want to invite someone up and just have a quick little interview with them about their thoughts about that. Um, so Sue Patterson, can you come up? Excellent. So do you want to um, just uh, give us your thoughts about the, uh, the impact that studying dynamics actually had on you personally? Um, okay, so studying dynamics for me was a little bit um, like a Shrek experience where you suddenly realise, oh, there's layers. <laughs> um, I guess um, it's really about heart change, about God coming to you and helping you see yourself um, in the reality of the things that keep you chained from how he would want you to function. Um, so it's a bit of an undoing, um, undoing of the layers, realising the things that have shaped you and not necessarily the, the things that he wants you to identify with and to walk in. Yeah, that's great. So how, um, how would you say... Uh, your uh, ministry, your interactions with other people have been shaped by, by the study that you've done? Um, yeah, um, uh, hugely. It's shaped uh, the way that I see others hugely because I've got a different understanding about how God sees me. Um, so therefore, when I see others, I'm much more intent about trying to see their heart in amongst what appears to be rather than realising underneath there, like me, they have layers. And it's really about being able to hear the layers and develop a relationship that can speak into there. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you one more question? Yeah. Excellent. How, um, just interested in your, uh, your response and your ministry connection, in a sense, to what Ed was sharing in the first session about how, does, how has Dynamics of Biblical Change to help you to understand, in a sense, your neediness um, and the neediness of people that you work with? And just, Can you comment on that? Oh, yeah. Well, um, Dynamics, um, the neediness, I've become much more comfortable with the neediness of me, realising that it's okay to be needy. And if I can be okay with being needy, I need other people to remind me of my neediness. Um, but through that, then I can help other people see that neediness is actually okay. I think that's, that's a really big thing. Being able to be okay with not being okay has been one of the biggest changes for me. It's not about performing. It's about learning to be real. Yeah, uh, That's great. Thanks, Sue. Appreciate it. Folks, we're, uh, we're going to transition at this point into uh, morning tea. So morning tea is actually uh, down the stairs out the side here. If, you, if you're not aware, the toilets are literally on the other side of this wall behind me. So if you go out and round the corner, uh, you can get to those. Uh, if you head down the stairs there, morning tea will be at the bottom of the, uh, the stairs. And we, um, we're going to reconvene at uh, about 10.40. 
The last thing is this. Uh, BCA Australia has managed to organise some side-by-side uh, -side books uh, from uh, Crossway, which is the publisher of the books. And um, we think we're cheaper than Kurong. We're pretty happy about that. Um, they're over there. They're the last ones we have in captivity. We've got 250 in uh, Sydney and Melbourne. Took a good chunk out of them. Uh, they're $15 each or three for 40. So if you want to hit those up, there's also a bookstall over there with heaps of CCF books. They're great. Uh, they're kind of Kurong books, and we endorse Kurong also, by the way. But uh, go and enjoy morning tea. We'll come back about 10.40. <laughs>